Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode with Kevin Dixon, the founder of Boxstep. I'm really excited for today's episode. Kevin comes from London and he has a lot of good experience in sales. He's been in sales for a very long time and is still actively selling. He's not one of those founders that has given up. So he's actively selling. He knows what he's talking about and he knows how to make it relevant. And today we're going to be speaking about bringing more ops to the table being more buyer-centric and what does that mean and how to do it. The evolution of sales, how sales has changed and how we could use this to our advantage. So we've got a lot of good information here, a lot for you to take away, and I really hope you enjoy it. And also, if you're an early-stage tech company and you need help learning how to better qualify your prospects or how to run a better demo so that you're getting more flow through there, to even building a sales team, if you need help with this, feel free to reach out to us at startupsales.io. This is what we're here for, and this is how we help. So let's get to today's episode with Kevin. Hope you enjoy. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. Excellent. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Uh, absolute pleasure, Adam. Thanks for the invite. Great. So you're sitting in London and want to tell everybody a little bit of background about you, about what kind of businesses you've got now and what your your background is? Yeah, sure. Sure. Happy to. Now, look, I'm not a spring chicken. I've been in sales a long time, so my career is pretty extensive, but I'll condense it down for you. So I suppose my first ever role was, was in the early 80s with Ericsson. So I've always been in tech, but obviously I started in with a telecom giant. And uh, I was sort of given my first chance in sales when I was about 20. And this was a big step because at the time, sales was not a young person's profession. Uh, in our industry, I suppose the average sales professional was mid-50s and pretty formal. Their idea of relaxing was taking their ties off and putting a cravat on. Times have changed. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? The funny thing is, is I was given public transport tickets, a demo case, and no prospects. It was door knocking on company offices. So everyone who moans about cold calling on the phone today, get over it, because what I did was really tough. So I, I spent 20 years with Ericsson, rose up through the ranks, and, and ultimately uh, ran a key division for them, but all sort of sales focused. And so I got to the point in mid-30s when I was ready for a challenge, and that's when I said, right, going to get out there and do a startup. Everyone was going startup crazy, a lot of money available from investors. And um, I moved down to not a particularly obvious place down on the sort of South Coast, more of a tourist area called Paul. And, and we did a, a startup called Alata. And literally right from straight away, I was sort of neck deep in fundraising, which we did successfully in a, in a very difficult period when we raised £10 million in September 2001. And, and we all 
know what that's famous for. So what was Alata? Alata, we were pioneers in application download to mobile devices before the Google Plays and, and the Apple App Store. It was great fun. And I went from a simple, comfortable life at Ericsson to a demanding and challenging one in the startup. It went really well. And we were acquired by Qualcomm 2006. And then I went on to do a bunch of different EVP sales roles with another startup, global players like Logic and Siemens before finally deciding to get an idea out of my head and into software a few years ago. Uh, and that's when I started Boxstep. Wow, terrific. What does Boxstep do? Boxstep is a sales platform. It's for B2B sales. Anybody in complex sales or anything that's not transactional. I'm going to sort of probably sort of dig my own pit here because I say it complements CRM. And as soon as you talk about CRM, it puts people off because they go, that application we spend lots of money on every month and, and nobody really uses properly because it doesn't really help us to sell. So what Boxstep is, it's really about, you know, I built it to improve qualification, forecasting and close rates. And, and those are the big three KPIs that are the most important. It really is about focusing on the opportunity from the buyer's perspective, you know, their business problem, their buying process, who's in the buyer team and what's important to them. So uh, do you ever heard of relationship maps or stakeholder maps? Yeah. Because there's so many people involved, how you're visualizing it is going to help you navigate the account. And what we also do is that after they've made a decision, what did they thought of, uh, what did they think of you? So uh, buyer feedback, win-loss analysis. So it's complementary to CRM, but it, it actually helps people to sell. Yeah. So I think what's really important here is what is the difference between a transactional sale and a this kind of sale? I, I mean, I'm not going to put the word in your mouth and I'll let you answer what kind of sale you're doing. Yeah. So B2B sales is the big umbrella transactional. Typically when you're, it's a shorter sales cycle, not many people involved, the value might not necessarily be huge, but it can be even in transactional sales. But the process of, of the buying is pretty easy. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot about information. It's a lot about, you know, product and price. Whereas when you get into complex sales, different people have slightly different views about exactly what, what constitutes a complex sale. But I would say personally, any sale where typically it might be a lot of people involved, higher value deal, there could be business risk associated with a right or wrong decision. Decision structure and process is always long-winded and chaotic. Huge amounts of information, long sales cycles. Now, any of the listeners who are involved in a lot of sales today, they'll know, if they've been in sales for a long time, they'll know that the time it takes to get a decision nowadays out of, out of a prospect is a lot longer. And that's because it's become complex and become complex because of some of those or all of those reasons. And that there's so many options out there and you can't really make sense of any of it because everybody spins it a different way. <laughs> it really makes it difficult just to make a decision. With, with that, that's it. You know, decision, I mean, decisions is the biggest problem. Here's an absolute shocker that really, even now, having spent so long in sales, I spent 20 years in EVP sales. And even now, it sort of stuns me that today, there's a, in excess of 50% of forecasted opportunities end in no decision. Nobody wins. They do nothing. And you think about all the time and effort and cost that goes in and nothing comes of it. And it isn't because it isn't well qualified and there was never a budget. A lot of the time is because the complexity means they can't make a decision. There's too many people involved. And they're not all aligned. There's internal politics and dynamics and all sorts of issues. So what do you think that is the answer to this uh, problem? Yeah, that's, so I don't think there's a, a one-size-fits-all answer, but 
And here's something else that one one word of advice I would give to any of the guys in the you know selling a, a product in to a B B two B is don't rely on product or service differentiation. Now in startups, that's when I did my startups, it was like, gee, we got this. Let's tell them about it. This is you know we got cool technology that nobody. Yes, it's important, but the biggest problem is facilitation of a buying process. So what do I mean about that? You've got to start being more buyer-centric. You've got to look at it from the buyer's perspective in, in terms of, it's counterintuitive when you say that because sellers are sellers. Let me tell you about what I do so I can, can get a sale from you. The way to differentiate today is by helping them to buy. So I think, let me give you uh, Gartner. I love quoting Gartner because they, they've got some great stats. Two stats that, that they sort of said. Firstly, that 62% of buyers are more than likely to buy from someone where there's a, a good buying experience. So someone helps them navigate their own internal complexity. A buying could be, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 stages. And every single one of those stages is an opportunity to fail and, and end the process. So if you ask sellers what the buying process is, they'll focus on the decision date. Why? Because they need it for their, their forecasting. Or it's countdown to commission time. Now, the reality is that's not where they need help. They So many of these, you've got your champion or people that wants to sort of process this through their business, and they've got all these hurdles. You know, They need to know who else to involve rather than getting these people coming to the buying cycle late in the day and putting a stick in the spokes. You know, what questions to ask internally? What questions they may be asked and how to answer them? Get, accessing the right information and the right tools that can add business value because most of the information they can get before they ever speak to you. So it really is about helping them to buy rather than focusing on the sell. Absolutely. You have to, I'll kind of drill down a little bit more on what you're saying is like, if you have a complex deal that you need to get the legal team involved in as well to get their sign off to actually start that conversation and not wait for them to kind of pop up. And if you need the tech team to prepare stuff so that you could do a successful POC that you speak with them and get that the ball rolling in that court as well. You have to go for multiple angles and get everybody, like an orchestra, you have to get everybody in line and, and working together. Yeah, I use that. I always say the sales guy's the conductor. There's loads of other So you're probably aware of this, Adam, but I don't know if you, do you know how many people is a typical buyer team today? How many? 10. So you go two or three years ago, Gartner said it was 5.4. A couple of years ago, 6.8. Typical buyer team is 10 people. Now, not everyone's a decision maker. You've got a bunch of the tire kickers, that you know, different people in different influences. But these are the 10 people that come together to discuss and make a decision. So, and it gets worse because sometimes you get more people involved. And the more people involved, the more likely there is going to be a no decision. So the percentage that I spoke earlier, about 50%, it goes up. You know, and, and then it becomes really difficult to sort of manage and navigate those sort of opportunities when there's the numbers of people involved is so high. I mean, I'll tell you some of the reason for this as well is that I'm going to flash back to my dinosaur days again, how, how it used to be in selling. And we would, as salespeople, we had the information, we had the knowledge, they couldn't get readily get access to it. We would get a meeting with a decision maker in a company. We would pitch to them, we'd propose to them, and, and hopefully we'd close to them. And then that person would make a decision. It's what I call the good old days. 
And <laughs> the they easy make days. A decision. Yeah, yeah, it was. Do you know what? In sales in the past, there was so much fruit on the trees, you'd have to be a pretty poor sales guy to go hungry. It wasn't as difficult it is as it is today. So, you know, they make a decision. But now the decision makers don't want to make a decision. They don't want to be accountable for something, especially in complex sales, that could be sort of really important to the business. So they want everybody else on board. They don't want people saying, well, we weren't involved in the decision, you know, the users, the, et cetera. They're, they're not really con- going to help and conform. So from a sales perspective then, you know, don't just focus on on uh, decision makers and C-suite. Actually, I think they said 58% of decisions now are made outside of the C-suite. So these guys just rubber stamp it, but they leave people below them to make decisions and be accountable for those decisions. And, you know, I can think back to my days at Alata. Shall I share a quick story with you? Yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. Okay, so this relates to Orange Group, which is a, a big global mobile operator and I think they're called communication service providers today to get the correct term. They were looking to make a group decision on their download platform. So this was in my days of Alata. And there were 10 countries involved. And what most salespeople would do is they'd go to France because France was head office. And they'd focus on all the important people in the France head office. And what we did is it was time and cost, but we flew to every single country, even down as far as Thailand, to engage with every single team. And we spoke to them, you know, about what their local issues were, what their concerns were, what their criteria were. We got them on board. Anyway, cut long story short, guess what? We won the deal. And we were up against some big global names. And we were this 30-man company down the south coast of England. And they said it was the first time ever that all 10 countries had agreed on the same choice. Whereas before it was like uh, the jury, eight of them said guilty, <laughs> two of them said not, you know, but because we took the time to engage with all of the different stakeholders, knowing that some were more powerful than the others, but the, the combination of everybody was the ultimate decision. I, I think of selling now is like building a jigsaw puzzle. Without all the pieces, you can't complete it. And that was sort of 10 years ago. And today that's even more prevalent. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's the the relationship that you build because at the end of the day, there's so many other companies that, yes, it's it's not the feature that wins you the deal. It's the relationship that wins you the deal. So you may have an extra feature over competitors, but they have one on you. So if you went to go meet them and see them face to face, they, as an early stage startup, this is huge. Even if you, okay, you're even earlier of a stage and you don't have the money to go to 10 different countries or you're the dollar amount is not as valuable as to allow for airfare, you know, just jump on a video call and do a one-on-one call with each one of the decision makers. We didn't have video in those days and it would have saved us a lot of money and a lot of time. But you're absolutely right. You know, salespeople become blinkered. Wow, I've had a really good meeting with a key player and they're like, they sit back and become comfortable. Whereas there are people from left field there are disruptors and they can be low down. You'd be surprised at how many low-level tire kicker evaluators users kill a deal dead. Because guess what? People at the top will go, well, if my users haven't bought into it, I'm going to be a stupid guy if I, I make this decision now knowing that they haven't bought into it. So it is more work. You know, you really do have to cover uh, more areas, more people. And that's why sales become longer sales cycles because you're trying to get everybody on board. Yeah. 
But that's what makes a, a good salesperson a good salesperson is they, they know how to manage those relationships and they know how to keep the momentum moving forward. Yeah, but a word of warning, don't rely on relationships. Relationships are still important. You remember it was all the old days, it was people buy from people. Then it was people buy from people who they know and trust. And yet that's still relevant. It's still there. But those don't work in the absence of providing real business value. Because uh, <laughs> you know, people only buy if you're solving a business problem or you're helping them achieve a business goal. Because you can have great relationship. You know, I grew up in the days where golf courses, corporate jollies, all that sort of, oh, those sort of things have gone now. I mean, they still exist, but nowhere near as much. Because, and that was all about building relationships where they trust you. Yeah, I trust Kevin and his team. They're going to deliver. Still there. I, I, I'm not saying ignore it. But I think the is that they say no problem, no prospect. If there isn't something you know to help with, then don't try and sell it. That's one of the things I'd say to startups. They think they've created the best thing since sliced bread, and sometimes they have. But it doesn't mean that someone's looking for sliced bread right now. You know, that's the thing. It's find the people where it really solves the problem for now. Yeah, and I think what you're saying there is so important for the early stage startups because. It's not just find the people that have this problem. It's also your job to get them to notice that they have the problem because maybe they have the problem and they don't realize it yet. And by you coming in and saying, here, here's what we do. Here's our features. That doesn't bring up the, the pain that they have. You need to ask the right questions and, and dr drive the conversation in the right way. Yeah. And here's the other thing as well. Another word of warning. Uh, well, I like to say salespeople are predictable. So they have contrived and biased questions. And anybody who's a buyer will smell it a mile away and go, geez, here we go. Typical sales guy trying to sell me something, whether or not, you know, they're, they're going to try and they're going to ram their square peg into a round hole, whether you like it or not. And that's salespeople. And I understand because they're all living to survive and, and et cetera. But you're wasting your time and, and their time. But once you get, if you ask unbiased questions, do you know what? It gets them thinking. It gets them thinking, you know, in a different way. So let me give you an example. I've never sold CRM, um, but I understand CRM. But someone who was trying to sell CRM against an existing CRM vendor would always be focusing on what they do better or why they should have your product. So what I would do is I would say to someone, how would you know when it would be time to, to reconsider changing your CRM? Because that isn't like trying to force them to defend a decision. What it does, it gets them thinking about, right, okay, what would be the right circumstances and, and things like that? But you can see it's not biased and contrived. It isn't sort of say, you know, are you happy with your reporting? Because I know my reporting's better than the incumbent. You know, that's what's up. So think of it in an unbiased way that helps to facilitate. And I love startup sales. I love it. It's David and Goliath a lot of the time. A lot of the time, you, you're this small startup trying to make your way and you're selling against probably bigger, better known brands that are incumbents. Even though you've got a greater technology, it doesn't mean that they're going to embrace it. So you've got to do things in a slightly different way. Absolutely. And that unbiased question with no assumptions is so important. Absolutely, Adam. Yeah, because then you're asking the open-ended questions. You're allowing them to speak. They're going to drive up some things that you didn't even think of that were a problem for them. Because maybe it, what you think is a problem is not a problem for them. They they they're okay with that. So by asking that unbiased, open-ended question, you allow them to deliver their own pains. 
everyone says that one of the greatest attributes for salespeople today, no matter what, what, whether you're a startup or multinational, is curiosity. Keep asking questions, you know, the why and how, because you more you're doing that, the more they're going to tell you. The more they tell you, the more you can help them. And that's to say help them, not sell to them. Because they've got to see you trying to help them, not trying to position your product. Yeah, absolutely. You were talking about being buyer-centric before. What does that mean? You know, walk a mile in a buyer's shoes. Someone once said to me, they said, who controls the selling? It's the buyers. Who controls the buying? It's the sellers. And it got me thinking, and it really did. But then there was that aha moment. I see what he means. In essence, we all know that a lot of the time when the buyers uh, bring you in, they've already defined their needs, done lots of research, and they only want sales guys to come in and add value. And actually, another little nugget, Gartner said that only 17% of the total buying time is spent with sellers. Think about how many people you're selling against, two, three, four, five then divide the 17%. It's not a lot, is it? So the time you get has got to be valuable. If you use that well, they'll grant you more time. And you use it well by being more biocentric, i.e., how can you help them? And what do I mean by that? So what, here's the standard thing that uh, uh, sellers do. Content. Got all this content about us, about our company, our product, our service. And then they bombard everybody in the buyer team with all this information and saying, here's a load of information, pick the bones out of that and see if you can find something of value. And two thirds of it get, get ignored. Absolutely no use. So why, everyone's wasted time, missed opportunity. Because buyers, every, all of these stages, all they're focused on is the job at task at hand. How do I get this job and task completed? So being buyer-centric means that you understand what their job and task at hand is in their buying stage. And you help them achieve it. You provide the right information, the right tools, the right anything, whatever it is, advice to help that person, buyer, stakeholder, whatever it is, to complete the task in hand. Actually, the more you do that, guess what? Every time you're doing it, you're adding value and your stock has gone up, your chances of winning the deal escalating every time. So buyer-centric is about doing stuff that helps them but doesn't necessarily help you. And the content you can provide could be just general insight, an industry white paper, a webinar recording, an ROI tool, or, or whatever it might be. But it has to be given to the right stakeholder at the right time in their process. So it is about helping them as over and above helping yourself. Because I would say, if you look after the, the, the buyers, the numbers take care of themselves. Yeah, then you don't have to worry about your pipeline. You don't have to worry about anything else. You're just taking care of them treating them right, giving them the information they need, the money will flow. Do you know, there's talking about numbers. Here's an expression I use. Well, actually, let me ask, I, I tell a question. I ask a question to sales leaders. Say, do you think if your salespeople knew more about their prospects, they'd be more effective in selling to them? And they go a bit quizzical. They go, oh, hello, there's a trick question here. But then they all answer yes. And I go, okay, so we know we need to know more about our prospects because the reality is, is most salespeople, and I'm in quite a high percentage, most salespeople don't know what they need to know about their, their prospects. And then most sales leaders don't know that their salespeople don't know it because they're just so focused on numbers. Not all the information that contribute to those numbers. So that's why there's so many autopsies. You know, you get an autopsy and that's it. Oh, God, we lost it. Why did we lose it? And then the blamestorming session start. You know, we lost it because, but you get ahead of it by understanding the who, why, what, when, and how. 
um, the numbers start to take care of themselves. Absolutely. I think one of the best things a new sales rep can do is go and speak to, if there are clients already in the company, is go and speak to those clients and understand, just at, pick their brain, how are you using this today? How is this helpful for you and your company and you and your role? And if you don't have that, then speak to other people about that are going to be your potential buyers and pick their brain. What problems are you having with this aspect in your day-to-day operations? Absolutely right. But at the same time, don't make it all sort of Spanish Inquisition too much where it's, you know, because what you're doing, if you're asking questions where you learn and they don't learn, then it's value for you and not value for them. So you've got to have that little sprinkling of valuable insights where they sort of go, okay, that got me thinking. Because everyone talks about we have to uncover needs. We've heard that for years. The sales guy's got to uncover the needs. Well, guess what? By the time they've probably involved you, they've already defined their needs. They'll tell you their needs, and then they'll tell your competitors their needs as well. So everyone's on a level playing field. So when you have those meetings and you're, you're asking those sort of questions that, that we just spoke about, Adam, you know, try and provide some unconsidered needs, stuff they haven't thought about, but that actually gets them thinking. Because once again, on the valueometer, that's raising you up again because, hold on a moment, you know, Adam came in and told me about that. We hadn't thought about that. Wow. You know, this that, guy that, knows his stuff. Exactly. <laughs> People ask me now, they say, what do I consider one of the number one characteristics for a salesperson? And uh, it's actually domain and subject matter expertise. Because it's like, you know, you have to be, you absolutely have to know your stuff because then you recognize what the problem is and, and what the root cause is and what the impact is and who's affected and how you can help and how they can do this, that and the other. It's a bit like, you know, you know we're surgeons, we're sales surgeons and, and you wouldn't want to go in for a, trial, a brain surgery with a guy going, yeah, I'll have a go at this. I've got some general know-how. <laughs> I went through high school. Yeah, <laughs> we, exactly. we dissected I mean, a rat. Yeah. <laughs> so it's more important. You know, when we spoke about relationships earlier, you know, I grew up in that relationship era where it didn't matter how strong my domain expertise or knowledge was. You know, it didn't matter whether my business acumen was on point. You know, this guy or this lady would engage with me and embrace me and then I'd trust me. And, and don't get me wrong, I was, you know, I was what I call an honest sales guy, whereas I only tried to sell, sell something that really would fit with a need because then they would refer me to others. So yeah, it's the buying's complex and so selling uh, for all the reasons we've been discussing. Yeah, I want to add something there that like with me personally is that you know I learned how to code before, like just very basic coding lessons online, so that when I go to sell to developers, I understand what they're going through. I know what their basic process is, so that when I speak to them, I could help them solve the problem. And I understand where they're coming from as well. And that makes such a difference in your ability to communicate and push a deal forward. That was a smart move, Adam. Absolutely. You know, because you're talking at a peer-to-peer level then. They go, ah, okay, this is, a, this is someone who actually knows the issues I face and can actually help me rather than this preconditioned diatribe sales guy that comes out, vomits all this information about his product and service all over us. I mean, it's, it's more demanding on salespeople now because it is sales skills and, and knowledge skills as well. I mean, I grew up in, in what we called the era of the art of selling, and it's now the, the art and uh, science of selling, which is processing information. 
it's a bit alien to most salespeople. They don't what they see anything like that as admin. Don't really want to do it. But all of that is essential. Being really organized and knowledgeable is really important in sales today. You say it's more work, but I, I would disagree. I think yes, okay, it's initial work, but once you actually go through this process, then it actually makes your job as a salesperson even easier. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It's not they <laughs> see it as more work. It's the salespeople. Yeah. You know, I think of selling now as eighty percent preparation, twenty percent execution. But salespeople I hear all the time. You know, I hear sales leaders say, ah, because sales tech, sales tech landscape's huge, probably 900 odd products now. And one of the biggest things we hear is sales leaders say, I'm not sure I can get my guys to do that. And you're like, oh, what do you mean? You made a decision on something that's going to help them uh, be more effective. And they're making a judgment call because they don't see it as the way they like to do it or how they want to do it or the way they used to do it. So yeah, it is. I mean, understanding what's relevant and contextual for the type of company and the type of person you're seeing before you meet them, that's going to make it a good use of their time, not just a good use of yours. Absolutely. Great. What are some tools that you like to use for sales? That's a good question. As I said, lots of sales tools and depending how you sell determines the type of tools because there are a lot of people now that do a lot of inside sales. You know, They don't ever actually go to meet, meet the customer. And then there's a lot of guys that do field sales. Actually, it's the field sales guys that tend to be the more awkward ironically, which is my background, the field sales. But, um, <laughs> so what does that say about you? <laughs> no, well, it, I recognize it. You know, do you know what? I, every year, start of a new financial year, I'd be 0%. And I'd be, okay, last year was a fantastic year. It doesn't mean this year is. What can I do differently? How can I keep ahead of the competition? What can I do that makes me better, et cetera, et cetera? And didn't have all the sales tech we have today. So we're a small startup. You know, we don't have VC funding or seed investment, although we'd like to get it at some point. So anyone listening? So we have to look at relatively low cost lead generation or prospecting. One of the tools I quite like is, and it's not original, but it's outbound email. But bear with me on this. Bear with me because, you know, everyone does it outbound. And they think, oh, yeah, we personalize it by putting their name in or their job title or or their company name. Okay, that's great. Yeah, people haven't been doing that for years, have they? Of course they (laughs) have. You know, I mean, that's not personalization. Personalization, this this product I'm using, I don't know if you want me to mention it or not, it's called Lemlist, based in, in France. Gwillem's the CEO. It's really quite creative in terms of it uses graphical visualization. So if you can imagine, let me just picture one simple thing here. When you open up the email, there is a, you can put a, a picture in it, and then there's a picture of Gwillem he uses where he's got two Starbucks coffee cups. And you know when you go to Starbucks and they write your name on it? So what he can do with his personalization outbound is you've got the two blank Starbucks things. When the email goes out, it's got his name on one and the recipient's name on the other. And it might sound a bit cheesy, but it's a, you know it gets people looking. But you can do so much more than that. I mean, that is real entry-level stuff. And it's the way that you know the personalization of the videos that get sent and everything. I mean, there's so much you can do with graphical stuff. So, for example, you, know, you can send... Um, I was looking at your website and blah, blah, blah. And automatically, Lemlist will take the, the customer logo and put it in there. It will take the picture of the person. And people go, oh, well, this is somebody that, that's really making an effort. Yeah, because it's unique. It stands out. It stands out. It stands out. It's not just the, you know, hey, Adam, you know, da, 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 da. You know, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen it before, 100 times a day. Whereas you open something up, as long as the subject matter is good, people are opening up. And then they say this, this image that is for them. 
you know, and it might have their picture on it or their LinkedIn profile or, or whatever. And now it's triggering them to read. And that's the first thing you need to do is get them to read the body and, and move forward. So I quite like that. I mean, I, I use a bunch of tools. I, you know, I, I like anybody else use sort of um, video tools that, so, you know, I can actually show the demonstrations of the product. But what I quite like, there's is an interesting tool. If any of the listeners are in startup software companies, there is a product called, uh, I think it's Go Consensus. And the whole idea is, is how you're managing the video demonstrations to all of the different uh, buyers and having them look at the demos and the online. And they can pick a personalized demo experience because not every time is it one-to-one big group. You can get people self-service the demos. So if you're a smaller business, where you don't have lots of salespeople, where you want to service more people, you can drive them to self-service demos that sort of get over that initial hump of understanding. And then really what comes out at the end of this little sausage machine is people that have already seen the basics and say, I want to know more. Um, so yeah, there's so much cool technology coming out. <laughs> there's so much, it's endless and it's well, every day there's something new. But one word of warning, too many people buy too much technology that doesn't all work together. It isn't defined around a specific sales process. You know, it's randomly bought for a tactical need. And then you get really poor user adoption. So, you know, it's, it's just a word of warning on that one. Absolutely. What's your favorite sales or leadership book? I tell you, I read quite a few. And every now and then I come across one which is, it's a bit up there. So three value conversations guy called Tim Ristera. I can't remember who the other guy was. Was it? Uh, that's terrible. I know one of them. So whoever the if the other author's listening, I'm sorry. I know there was two of you. But what it really is, it's about selling value and, and moving forward in, in the process and addressing all of the different value-based needs. But there's a lot of good ones. I read not long ago, do you know of Keenan? Keenan. Keenan gave me an advanced copy of, of Gap Selling. Now, it's a pretty easy read. And it focuses on an aspect of selling, you know, understand where they are now, understand where they want to be, focus on the problem impact and root cause. So I like the book because it will help a lot of people. And, and it's a, a lot of books are a tough chew, quite difficult to take and, and implement. But gap selling is pretty straightforward one. And a lot of that process is already in our product. So that's another reason I like it. But it, it's, <laughs> it always helps. Yeah, it does. Well, because then it means we're aligned with the way a lot of the industry experts and gurus are thinking. So yeah, I mean, there's, I know it's a common question to ask, but I hadn't really thought of it. But, but Three Value Conversations is a good book. But I take a lot out of a lot of books, if you know what I mean, a bit, a nugget here and there, because I think they use the term now agile selling isn't a set sales methodology. It's actually uh, a bit here, a bit there. I'll share a term. Someone once said to me, because a lot of people now saying sales methodologies aren't necessarily the best thing. But every sales methodology says theirs is the best and is the reason why. But uh, he actually said to me, he said, sales methodologies are like Mexican food. And he said, they all call something different, but they all taste the same. So you know, <laughs> it basically means there's, there's a common principle and a common approach. Yeah. Excellent. Terrific. What's one piece of advice that you have for all the early stage startups out there? Know everything you can about the, per- the companies you're trying to sell to. Prepare. <laughs> Absolutely. It's simple. It's boring. It's dull. But it's essential. If you don't know what you need to know, how can you sell to them effectively? Absolutely. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. I, I think that everybody listening has, has learned a lot and I'm sure I know I took some stuff away that I could take. How, how can people reach out to you and learn more about your company? 
Usual. I mean, if you www.boxstep.com and that's B-O-X-X-S-T-E-P.com. LinkedIn, it's just Kevin Dixon, D-I-X-O-N. Or email Kevin at boxstep.com. Love to hear from anybody. Terrific. I'll put that in the show notes as well so that people could follow. Fabulous. Excellent, Kevin. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.